I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 through 12, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 11, 7 through 12, 1. It says this, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity again at the beginning of the week to come and to worship you. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for what this week means for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to demonstrate love to others. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us right now as we hear your word, that you would just remove any distractions, open up our hearts to it, we would respond to your truth, give us joy and genuine happiness, and help us to find it in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, so the first thing the Bible tells us is that happiness is possible. Do you believe that? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that was a quote from him. It was a great preacher in an early uh, part of the last century. He said this, so the first thing the Bible tells us is that happiness is possible. And I emphasize that because this is the most staggering, the most surprising thing of all in a world like this. But it is the great message of the Bible. It comes to us as we are, and it says, happiness is possible. Are you drawn to that quote with cheerful resonation? Does that resonate with you? Or are you cynically rejecting that a little bit? You just don't really believe it. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, he's wrapping up this whole book that we've been going through, and he's kind of coming to the tail end of what he's trying to say, and he's given his final conclusion to the whole matter. And he's particularly talking to young people in this passage. But if you're still alive, your life has a long way to go, so we all of us could still be considered young. But do you believe that we were meant to be happy? And that real happiness is possible. That's what this whole week actually is about in our culture. It's all about joy and happiness and hearing about it. It's about enjoying life and being happy, which is what it says in the first part. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I mean, most young kids this week will get that on Friday morning. They will not want to go to sleep. They'll hate that it's dark, but as soon as the light breaks, their eyes will pop open because it's really light and sweet to see the sun on Christmas morning. They can't wait to get up. They're so excited. They jump out of bed. They run down. They jump up on mom and dad. They can't wait to wake them up. They want to go open their presents, and it's filled with this excitement. So isn't it? You're all old. You don't care anymore. Just like, oh, 
We've lost that excitement. And the Bible in Ecclesiastes says light is sweet and life is good and life is meant to be good. We're supposed to be excited about it. And all the children know this. They, they wake up with excitement. The light has come. There's huge opportunities today on Christmas morning. There's excitement. There's possibility. I might get the thing that I want. There's hopes. There's dreams that are going to be fulfilled. It's all about happiness, right? That's what's happening. That's what he's saying. Life is supposed to be this way. Light is sweet and it's like candy. It's pleasant, for the eyes to see the sun. If you wake up every morning or any morning, it's a good morning. Life is to be that way. And if you have young kids on Christmas, because all of us forget that, don't clean the mess up too early on Friday. Leave the wrappings around. Savor the moments. Life is supposed to be fun. But he says there's days of darkness that are coming. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, and all that comes is vanity. Have you become a sadness snuggler in your life? Does the idea of Christmas, joy, happiness, has it been such a long time? Have you really felt that continually that you've kind of, you just kind of snuggled up to sadness and you're just really a master at negativity which is what the culture tries to say to us and that's what this passage says there's all kinds of happiness that should be there but there's all kinds of vanity and there will be long bad hard days in life and the teacher all through ecclesiastes he's been looking at life and he's saying what's the meaning and purpose of life and he's taken us down all these different avenues and he said here's the different roads you can go to find satisfaction find happiness in life and he's come to the conclusion so far that all of those money wealth power honor possessions they don't give you satisfaction they're dead end roads so he's calling young people don't waste your life and he's calling all of us to say listen Life is meant to be enjoyed and have happiness, but there's a way to live it and there's a way not to live it. And how are you going to live it? But negativity is everywhere in our world, and it can consume our lives sometimes. There's just the constant barrage of catastrophe that we hear on the news. There's unemployment. There's family struggles. There's financial strains. There's caring for elderly friends and elderly parents. This is the cost of your house and your mortgage. There was a study recently done that most Americans are pessimistic more than they've ever been before. In 2014, 65% of Americans thought that America was not on the right track and would not be on the right track in the next few years. We, we are a negative culture. Even when good things happen, we want to jump on the negative. This week, in, uh, or last week in Minnesota, there was a single mom named Angela Ramey. And she was at her daughter's school, Bethany Christian School, and she had a chance for a half-court shot. They said, if you make this half-court shot, you will get $4,000 off on your child's education for next year. You may have seen this on TV. So she was uh, out in the gym. She was doing a granny shot. She, uh, she did the granny shot. It went up in the air. She was all excited. Her daughter's right next to her, all excited. The ball goes up, comes just short of the basket. But then it takes an amazing bounce, bounces up into the basket, and goes in. And her face was just up, 
Oh, and then sheer elation all over. She's jumping up and down. Well, the Washington Post posted this video on Facebook. And the post on Facebook of this woman who just won $4,000 for her daughter's education, the first 15 posts that people put when they saw the video were all negative. Is this how we're going to take care of people's education nowadays? Is this what we try to do, dangle stuff out to that people that way? Every post that people put in the Facebook response was negative, 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 negative. We are a negative culture. We don't know how to be happy, and we don't know how to be happy for other people when they have those things happen to us. In Ecclesiastes, the author is saying, listen, I've looked at life. I've examined the roads to go for satisfaction and how to find happiness. And God desires for you to rejoice. God desires for you to be happy. He wants you to know joy. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.4 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in God before the foundation of the world began. We were in God's heart and God's mind. We are not, and you are not, plan B. The cross was not plan B. God knew that sin was going to come in. God knew the difficulties that your life was going to happen. And it was not a catch-up plan. It was a design strategy. And the author of Ecclesiastes says he has looked at life in its brokenness and said it's just vanity and it's meaningless, it's fleeting. And there are certain things that don't satisfy. And then we die. There's a way to live life under the sun that is filled with sadness and unhappiness. And there's a way to live life with joy. And he says we need to find that way. Because this just makes sense. The last part of chapter 10, he says, Wisdom is better than folly, which is absolutely not helpful if all we do is live and die. We should be fools. It's really not that helpful, but he says wisdom is better than folly. Then last week, he said, really, we talked about plunging in, being bold, taking risks, pressing on, plotting through. If happiness was not possible, none of that would make sense to us. It would just seem pointless and vanity and meaningless. But there is a thing called happiness, he says in verse 11. And it can be found in life. He says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And if you are a young man or a young woman, rejoice in life and look at life positively. Look at life hopefully. And if this is true, If this is true, well, then we have something to work with. Because if it's not true, being wise makes no sense. If it's not true, plunging in and being bold makes no sense. Pressing on in life makes no sense. Plotting through makes no sense. But if it's true, then we have something to work with. And that's what he gives us. He gives us three things. He says, rejoice, remove, and remember. Or you could say, be happy, be holy, or be helped. Or you could say what God wants for us, why God wants it for us, and how God wants us to receive it. He wants us to be happy, to rejoice. This is true for all of us. Some of us really wish 
If we're really honest, you wish you could go back to the excitement of Christmas morning. You wish you could look at life with the excitement of Eli Futrell during the Christmas program when he goes rogue. And just, you all know you would love just to be able to do that at work someday. Your boss tells you to do something, gives you a hat to wear, you just put it on backwards and look at him like, what are you going to do about it? You would love to have that kind of excitement and think that this is going to go well for me, however this turns out. We would love that type of optimism. We'd love to be able to rejoice like that. Augustine said hundred thousands of years ago, every man whatsoever his condition desires to be happy. This has always been the reality for human beings. Anne Frank, who's a teenager, Jewish teenager who was hidden away during the war, and then her family eventually and her were killed, and she kept a diary. She said this, as a teenager, in the midst of a war, being hidden in a ceiling, we all live with the objective of being happy. Our lives are all different and yet the same. We all have this. We all have this desire for life. It's a God-sized desire. It can't be filled, the author of Ecclesiastes says, by all these other things. It can't be filled by money, power, sex. It's, it's bigger than that. It has to be filled by much more. And if we don't see that, we'll miss it. Psychiatrist Paul Meyer says this. He said, I have had millionaire businessmen come to my office and tell me they have big houses, yachts, condominiums, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything this world has to offer except one thing, inner peace and joy. They come to my office as a last resort, begging me to help them conquer the urge to kill themselves. That's the whole story of Ecclesiastes. That's why it's written, to give us wisdom so we don't go down that path. And he's already covered those things. He says, don't go down that path. And he is speaking to young people, but he's speaking to all of us. as He's summing up what he has to say for us. And he says, this is what God wants for you. God wants for you to rejoice. God wants you to be happy. That's God's desire for you, and God offers it to you freely. Revelation 22, 17 says, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We, we all know we really want to be happy. We all really want joy. And people say, well, I don't believe that God wants people to be happy. It just doesn't seem like God wants people to be happy because my life's not correct. My life's a mess. My life's difficult. Psalms 25, Psalms 18, 25 and 26 says this. For you, so the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful... You show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Many people reject the idea of God. And they don't believe that God wants them to be happy. Because they don't want to follow God's plan. And God says when, to the, the people who are pure, he shows himself pure. The people who are merciful, he shows himself merciful. But the people that take a road that goes against God, he shows himself to be troubled. So it's no wonder they don't see God that way. 
They want to create a God in their own image. And if they don't get the God that they want, they think the God of the Bible isn't true. And God says, no, I I show myself that way. So it makes sense if they don't see God as a good thing. But the God of the Bible wants you to be happy. He wants you to rejoice. He wants you to know true joy. And he wants you to know that happiness will never be found apart from coming to God. He said it 2,700 times in passages throughout the Bible. He talks about happiness, joy, rejoicing. And if you add the blessed times words that he uses over and over and over in Scripture, the idea is be happy. Enjoy life. This is God's desire for you. But even Christians don't do this. We don't get this, do we? We often walk around very, very sad. Oh, God's doing this to me. Oh, it's such a struggle. We have to fight that. He says this, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, it's a command. Let him rejoice. It's the theme, really, of Ecclesiastes over and over again in life. Psalm says, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. What level are you in your happiness? Have you been struggling and fighting for happiness? This is what God wants for you. But what's the makeup of happiness? Why is it so difficult for us to say, yeah, I know that's true, but it just doesn't feel like it or it doesn't seem like it to be that way in my life? Well, there is a makeup of happiness. And he kind of says it in verse 7 and 8. He says, light is sweet. Light's supposed to be a good thing. It's pleasant to the eyes. Rejoice in it. But there's going to be dark days coming. There's going to be days of darkness. And we all experience them. We all live through them. This is the brokenness that the Bible talks about. The brokenness of sin. The brokenness of why days don't always go well. When you open your eyes on a morning, sometimes it doesn't feel like sweet candy just happened. Sometimes it just felt like this crushing wave just hit you. Why is that? What's the makeup of happiness? Part of it is your own DNA, the own brokenness that we have. Scientists have shown and studies have shown that your ability to be happy is made up. 50% of your ability of, to be happy is totally out of your control. It's all based on your, if your mom and dad were gloomy, doomy people, you have a very good chance of being, 50% chance of being gloomy, doomy. You, you have no control over it. It's just part of your DNA. That should help us a little bit. It's called the brokenness of the world. And the other 10% happens to be circumstances. So you could have some really bad stock, and you can have some really bad circumstances, and 60% of your ability to be happy are out of your control. But 40% is in your control. And what are you going to do with the 40%? When the dark days come, he's saying this, the happiness that he is talking about, this rejoicing, the joy that seems so far away for often for many people, is not that distant. And he's not talking about this fake happiness or pretending that life isn't real, pretending there isn't difficulties. He's talking about a positive, just a realistic view of life. There are good days and there are many difficult dark days, but life is meant for you to enjoy and to be happy in. So be a positive realist and not a negative realist. Are you working on that? What's the mentality of happiness? I mean, we've got almost 
60% of us against ourselves. We got 40% to work on. How are we going to do it? And he says this in verse 10, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Walk in the ways of your heart. He's talking to young men. They're so excited about life. Young people are they just they have opt, complete optimism. They they have the world ahead of them. They they see great potential. They dream big dreams. And he says, walk in the ways of your heart. That's good. Do that. Risk things. Because he says, as the Bible says, a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. Which means you can control that. You have the potential to help your happiness by how you think. That's what the Bible says. You are what you think. Zig Ziglar, who is an extremely happy man and Mr. Positive throughout his life as a, as a speaker around the world. He says, you are where you are. You are where you are. You are what you are by what goes into your mind. Change where you are. Change what you are by changing what goes into your mind. How you think changes everything. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, I tried all the angles of life. I tried to find satisfaction and happiness in all the things there are, and it can't be done. So the way to do it is find it in God. Change your thinking. Don't waste the opportunity if you're young to think you have to chase the other ways. Follow hard after God. It is meant to be a wonderful life we always think youth is wasted on the wrong people which is what the movie what's a wonderful life says these two couple out there they're they're young they're in love and they're george bailey's talking to them and he's talking and the old guy bald sitting on the deck doing nothing bored with life finally yells at him hey stop why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death he's like what why don't you kiss her instead of talking to death because Youth seems to be wasted on the wrong people. They don't take advantage of the opportunity. He missed his time. And now he's watching. He doesn't want a young, another young person to do that. And that's the same thing he would say the author of Ecclesiastes would do. We are meant to be happy. God makes you. He desires you to be happy. It's all through Scripture. You're supposed to rejoice. If you're not fighting for it, you're not following God's desire for it. So how do you get there? He says you become happy by removing something. He says remove vexation from your heart and put away pain for your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. You need to remove something. You're really saying be holy here. Watch your life. Guard your life. You're supposed to desire happiness and remove vexation, which is any problem that causes us worry or concern that angers us, that grieves us, or irritates us. He says, "This is if you want to want to be happy, listen, remove vexation from your life. And so fight for joy is what he's saying. Fight for joy. Are you fighting for joy in your life? Is that, is that the motive of your life? Are you fighting for joy? It's the, the fight for that, which is by taking care of yourself mentally and physically. Listen, we don't need to know every bad thing that comes on. Some of you, your joy is so low because all you do is watch news day after day after day. And it just drags you down. And you can't figure out why you're feeling so bad. Turn off the news. Guard your mind. You don't need to know it. Guard your mentally self. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself physically. Changes everything is what he's saying. Remove vexation. What causes you anxiety or worry or angers you? And then when you're troubled, because real troubles do come 
Go find some counsel. Talk to somebody. The greatest thing that you can be, and he's talking to young people, he's talking to all of us, the greatest thing that we can be is teachable. When you're struggling, find someone that you can go to and say, hey, this is my situation, this is my problem, I need some help. Find a God-fearing person who say, hey, I need you to show me, help me. Someone who's been down the road before. Do you have good friends like that? Do you have mentors like that? Do you have people who will say, listen, that's not the way to go. And are you listening to them? It says, remove this vexation. Take care of yourself. Get counsel. And then be committed. He said, listen, judgment is going to come. There is no free decades of your life. There's no free time in your life. All of it is being seen by God. How are you living your life? So be committed. You're filled with anxiety. You're filled with fear. Pray. Take all your anxieties and give them over to God. Follow God's path. Take the promises of God and don't let them go. We are called to fight for our joy. God desires you to be happy. He wants you to be fighting for your joy. And he says, how are you going to do it, though? It seems like a lot of work. And then he says this. Remember. He wants to help us with this. How does God want us to receive happiness? He says, I want you to be helped. And here's how I want to help you. Remember. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. If you're not careful, you can miss that. You can say, yeah, I want to be happy. So I'm going to go do all these things to make myself happy. I'm going to really buckle down. I'm going to really strive really hard. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to read all the positive books I can read. I'm going to do all these things. And those things in and of themselves, I say, are good and helpful. But that's not going to quite do it for us. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Because if you just do that, you're going to be absolutely exhausted. And the truth is, many of you are already exhausted. You are exhausted by the long, hard days of life. You would love to have joy, but life has crushed you and is still crushing you, and you are an exhausted individual. You just love 45 minutes of joy and happiness. And to hear that you have to go and remove something seems like just more work and more difficulty, and it's exhausting. That's not what God says. He says, remember your creator, and the days of your youth before the evil days come. He says this, our sin has separated us from God. That's why the evil days have come. We've been separated from God. Remember your creator. That's not how God designed us to be. He's saying, he's bringing us back to the beginning. Hey, remember your creator. Remember that the way you see life now is not the way God designed you to be that way. Remember creation Remember when everything was perfect? Remember when everything was the way it was supposed to be? Remember in the garden when things were the way they were? People were following God. But then remember sin came in and separated things? God had a plan. God had a path. And it wasn't do, do, do. That's what we came up with. When we said we don't want God's way, we said we want to go it our way. So we said, God said, no, that will separate you from me. And so the only way that we thought we can get to God is by doing things. If I try really hard, then maybe God will love me. If I do this, maybe I'll be accepted by God. If I do this, if I do this, 
And the crushing truth of what we all fall back into is thinking that we have to do things to impress God and do things to get God's favor and get God's love. But that's not the way it was back in the beginning. That wasn't the way it was at creation. In creation, God did everything. He created us. He put us in a perfect place. He gave humanity everything. They rejected it. And the good news for us is we still don't have to do everything. When we remember our creator, we remember 2,000 years ago what Jesus did when he came as a baby. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we could not die for our sins. And then he said, it is finished. It's absolutely done. Do you believe that? The problem is most Christians don't even believe that. We hear the words, it's finished. We hear that it's done. We hear that it's not by works, that we're made right with God. But deep inside of us, sin is strong. The pull of the flesh is so strong that we think that just can't be it. I've got to have to do something. I, I know how bad I am. I've got to do something to get God to love me. I've got to do something. And Jesus says, no, I did it. It's done. It's done. It's finished. You exhausted person who have tried and tried and tried, it's done. Believe what I say. Remember your creator. It's finished. It's done. Because Luke 1, 78, 79 says, Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And even us as Christians struggle to believe that Jesus is enough and that he is all we need and that it is done, that we can find real joy in Jesus. Jesus keeps saying it's done. It's finished. It's not by works. It is amazing love that I came as a baby, took on human flesh, that I was willing to suffer that way. All because I loved you and not because of anything that you did for me. It's the real world that I came into. I understand your exhaustion. I understand your suffering. I understand your pain. And I can rescue you and have rescued you from all of it. It blows our minds that we can be rescued, we can be restored, and it's not by anything that we have to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, your worst day last week Jesus didn't say to you the next day, you better suck it up and you better pull it together or I'm not going to love you. He said the same thing to you the day before. It's finished. You're mine. I accept you. You're worth it. I love you. This week, someone I know had been in trouble with the law for a number of years. They had a huge debt on them that they owed and it was stressing them for years. They, They couldn't pay it. It was over $6,000. They could, had no way to pay it. They struggled with it, didn't know what to do with it. They went to court on Thursday. The judge said, it's gone. He wiped it away. By the word of his mouth and the ink of the pen, it was completely removed, which is exactly what God did for us in our sin in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together 
with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That should stir joy in your life. That should stir happiness in you. That God doesn't say, you're just going to have to keep working. God says to you, I loved you, I rescued you, and it's gone. Canceled all your sin, all your debt. You're free. Life in a broken world will be difficult. But you don't have to keep trying. You just got to keep believing and keep trusting and keep remembering. That brings unbelievable joy. Mark Twain said in his autobiography, It is human life that we are blown up upon the world. We float buoyantly upon the summer air a little while, complacently showing off our grace of form and our dainty iridescent colors. Then we vanish with a little puff, leaving nothing behind but a memory. And sometimes not even that. I I suppose that at those solemn times when we wake in the deeps of the night and reflect, there is not one of us who is not willing to confess that he is really only a soap bubble and a little worth the making. Mark Twain understood life. The first half of that's Ecclesiastes. That we're here for a little while, we make a flash, and then we're gone, and we're a memory. But Mark Twain is absolutely wrong when he says, we're only a soap bubble, and as a little worth the making. That's not true. That's not what God says about us at all. God says to us that you're worth it. That's what Psalms 8 says. That's what Psalms 139, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God showed it to us by giving us his son for you. God loves you and he calls you to rejoice in the life he gives. He calls you to fight for joy. He calls you to not be overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. He says, he says look at me, I've canceled the debt. You don't have to live exhausted. You can live encouraged. You are free in Christ. So remember me, focus on me, rest in me. It's my finished work. It's the gospel of done. Accept it, believe it, and trust it. And as... We do. And as you do, you can walk into this Christmas week and rejoice. You can be happy. And you can run to Jesus. And he will over and over and over and over again take you in, say it's okay, and rescue you, and keep giving you joy. Are you happy in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you been rescued from your sin? Do you know that you don't have to do it anymore? It's been done Are you happy? Pursue your happiness in Christ before the days draw nigh when it's too late.
Oh.